to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. Hey, hey, it's Friday. End up with another week. Where, where does the time go? I know, right? Where does the time go and where does summer go? <laughs> I feel like I always do this weather thing at the beginning of the show, but it does really impact me to the point where I went for my full medical and um, I got my blood work back. And no surprises, my vitamin D or vitamin D, depending on where in the world you're from, is so low that now I have to take 10,000 IUs of vitamin D every morning. Um, now, if you go into the pharmacy, chemist, whatever else you call it around the world, you'll be able to get a 50 IU vitamin D. So this morning, it was like I had 10 mega shots of coffee as soon as I took that pill, which was amazing. <laughs> I think what you'll find is that every year as you go to the doctor, you find out there's more and more things that you're doing wrong and or missing. So just you got that to look forward to. I'm not, I'm not quite at the point of having a pill box, but I feel like next year there will, there will be more things I have to take. Never ending, never ending. Hey, so we got a lot of community news this week. So uh, I know people have been blogging about the graph. It's made my ah, week. Excellent, excellent. Um, first one on our list is uh, Mark Rackley talking about using uh, Microsoft Graph in Teams and in the SharePoint FX, including a video. And he titled it The Dummy's Guide to Using Microsoft Graph in SharePoint and Microsoft Teams. So, yeah, I did actually watch this uh, video and. Um, it was good pace. I really enjoyed the like how he can talk about it as if it's brand new um, and getting it all up and running at that pace. So I kind of enjoyed yeah, watching excellent. that. Excellent. And, and uh, since we have a link to Mark on the show, we should point out that he's hosting again the North American Collaboration Summit in March in Branson, Missouri. I'll be there doing a workshop on Teams and SharePoint development. So I probably would just press play on his video and uh, sit and collect the paycheck for a while. <laughs> and of course, before people get mad, the paycheck, of course, is you know, uh, volunteer zero, zero dollars. Yeah, so. <laughs> but uh, I, I went to that. I think the second year with CJ, and we had a lot of fun there. Um, and it is definitely a part of the world that's very different from the rest of America. <laughs> and f for me and my accent that I don't think I have, um, there was a lot of people giving me strange faces when we walked into different bars and when I was ordering things as if like where the hell is this alien from <laughs> um, and I just people watched the entire weekend it was just incredible yeah it uh, middle America is uh, certainly I like to say we're the most commonsensical and and plain people and both coasts get weird but now that I've said that on a recording I'm sure I'll get feedback yeah, I'm sure you will I'll make sure that it's repeated <laughs> over and over and over again <laughs> Um, and also, they they do a podcast. So it's him, Brett Lonsdale, Rob Foster, and Stephanie Donahue. Yes, I think is how you pronounce yeah. her last name. Um, and they do one which I think was kind of based on talking about technology from a business perspective and not so deep. And I've listened to a few of their shows, and they just recently did one on the graph. Um, and it's kind of inspired me that we need to do a better job at Microsoft at explaining the graph at that kind of layman's terms um you know i have my pitch down pat with my grandmother and she gets what i do at microsoft so um i should probably record that so that we can have that as kind of uh, to borrow mark's phrase the dummy's guide 
But um, yeah, if you want a business type podcast as well, I'd highly encourage listening to that one. Yes, and all four of them are great people to hang out with. So yeah. <laughs> they really are. Although you may have a headache in the morning is the only problem. <laughs> Um, and then talking of SharePoint, one thing that kind of came out that was a little bit under the radar with the 1.7 release of SPFX uh, was this notion of isolated web parts. Now, we're actually getting Luca Bandanelli and Pat Miller, who are in the engineering team over in Building 34, um, to talk to me in detail next week about this in person. But um, if you've got time in the meantime, uh, essentially, this is going down the path of uh, the concerns that I personally had when I heard about SPFX when they first started kind of whiteboarding this stuff was that because it's all client side, there's no easy way of calling an API without other things on the page being able to call it. And so this isolated web part technology essentially allows you to um, define web parts to have their own unique Azure application client ID and give it the right permissions and then that web part is the only web part that can do calls through that application id and therefore giving you the isolation that you used to have in the add-in model or the app model as it previously was called so we're going to get those guys to talk about that and i uh, we've got links in the show notes to the official kind of information about it but also surprise surprise andrew connell wallet mastercars have both kind of written a bunch of stuff around kind of that approach of isolated web parts already and they give their own insights into it and um, there's some brand new office 365 cli commands to grant api permissions to these applications in a kind of a continuous build type way as well already um, so there's some cool stuff that uh, Waldeck's been doing there too. Yeah, and, and this uh, is going to highlight again, if you're a developer or even an administrator in the, uh, with a tenant, you have to understand these permission models because there there are some risks that there are some trade-offs that, that happen in the various models. And if you don't know what you're doing, it's easy to do something wrong. So the, the added yep. model kind of made it super strict and people said, I want it less strict and now it's less strict. You really need to know what you're doing. So I strongly recommend getting up to speed on, on that and watching these guys and reading these, uh, these articles to make sure you're doing the right thing. Yeah. And you blogged this week too, I noticed. Uh, first time in a while, yeah, actually. So, uh, well, you tweeted, uh, you and uh, Chris Johnson were out, and he posted some Postman tricks. And, of course, I bookmarked uh, CJ's uh, article on using Postman to get a token a while ago. And he had a couple other tips about using script to do some stuff. And that inspired me to say, oh, I had one time I, I was doing a lot of back-and-forth work. And, of course, rather than acquire a token on every call in dev mode, it's like just copy-paste or just you know hard-code the, po- the token into the string just for the time being being right and then it got to the point well when does that token expire so i'm a i'm a smart guy i know i can go to the interwebs and find out how do i decode a token <laughs> and what you get back is just a goofy number like well that's the number of seconds since unix was invented I'm like, well that doesn't help me so um i did some digging to find the api call to do that in powershell so Oh, and to flip it to a like, human-readable yeah, date yeah, and time. Yeah, more importantly, into human-readable date and time in the machine I'm sitting on so that I know I can look at the time of day and say, oh, it, it, it still works, right? Because <laughs> when I first did it, I forgot that too local. And then it was like, oh, well, <laughs> I'm six hours behind UTC. <laughs> it doesn't make any so. sense. <laughs> <laughs> 
and the access token still working. Yeah. yeah, the um the other one was that a lot of people don't know about, and I've mentioned the show before, is JWT.ms. So if you do have an access token, that's a site that we actually host the identity team here at Microsoft. And if you paste the access token in, you'll actually get all the claims inside the access token. You'll be able to see the scopes that's baked into the access token. So if you ever have a, oh, why am I getting access denied? Your first thing to do is break open the access token to see the scopes are actually in there or not. Um, that's a, a great way of troubleshooting. And then also we hear this a lot and we get lots of questions on this in Stack Overflow where Graph Explorer is throwing access denied. Well, if you open developer tools and fire up the console and type token, please, with a capital P um, and open bracket, close bracket, you'll actually get the access token right there in the browser, which is pretty handy too. Um, so there's just like little tips and tricks there. And um, as part of our 30 days of Microsoft Graph that um, Brian Jacket has been leading up with a bunch of other authors, um, funnily enough, he's just recently on day 13 written about Postman calls to graph because I'd asked him to kind of add that to the series because we get this question so often. And he's done a very similar process to what CJ blogged um, at the beginning of the month too. So um, yeah, that Postman is definitely a big thing. Although, um, you know, as I always tease Daryl about Graph Explorer is the poor man's Postman. It's just so easy to use and streamline for the graph. Um, that often for me, it's just, in a meeting, it's just so easy just to open up a browser and go to graph.microsoft.com, click on Graph Explorer, and there you go. There's my API. I can demo straight away. Yeah. Um, um, and so that's kind of – but Postman is definitely better for kind of more dev well, And stuff. remembering the stuff I've done before. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah and, and, and Daryl's actually getting to those features on Graph Explorer. Excellent. <laughs> so you'll be able to build like a whole series of commands in Graph Explorer and actually save them into your own sign-in profile, but also share them as well. Um, and we see a lot of admins using this, so it's kind of interesting to see. You know, it's a lot of people just experimenting with the API. It's actual people using it. To run I, back in my consulting days, when I got a question about, well, what is what I really get when I do that? It's like, here you go, go pound mm -hmm. away. Um, but I want to make one more comment on the JWT.ms site. Right? If you if you bingle for that, you end up getting the top result is jwt.io which does a similar function however the one from microsoft will interpret some of the microsoft specific claims in the token and so it certainly right, it makes it easier to yeah, read. with some yeah. human readable information instead of just a link off to the spec yeah. which i'm sure daryl has yeah. the spec memorized and can tell us everything about it but for the rest of us humans we uh, certainly <laughs> need some help on that so yeah and then on the experiment side, um, we're about to launch docs.microsoft.com for Microsoft Graph, which is like the first project I got when I was rejoined Microsoft. And um, docs isn't really my favorite thing. I find them a bit kind of bland, but um, I'm really excited because it is such a big jump in terms of functionality than what we have right now. And then shortly afterwards, we're going to have Graph Explorer try integration into every operation page. So, you know, you'll be able to push the try button on uh, get user operation page and that will actually spin up on two-thirds of the page graph explorer with executing that command and seeing the request and the response right there live yep. which is i was good. reading docs on my ipad again last night so you know what i'm gonna say you were, so yeah the table of wait. contents doesn't can't work wait. we know <laughs> <laughs> it actually is super fast too so yeah I'm, I'm really pumped to kind of have that go live we decided not to do it thanksgiving week and um, there's just so many people off, so it's going to be the week yeah. afterwards we're going. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, how did the interview go this week? 
It was really good. Um, I went over to Building 50, a building I hadn't been in before, and um, spoke to Anthony and Lay, and um, they're super cool guys. And uh, I mean, Anthony, as you'll hear in the interview, has uh, been, been in Microsoft for 24 years, uh, which, you know, it's just mind blowing when you think about like what a career he's had here and the things he's, he's worked on at Microsoft and, you know, influenced. And so, um, yeah, we had a lot of fun in the interview and I think we got deep, really deep in terms of what scenarios are genuinely there right now and what they're going to get to. So super useful for anyone building a great graph or considering it, that this is a really good feature to plug into your apps. And they were great at kind of explaining, you know, where the hot sweet spots are right now and what they'll be in the future. So, um, yeah, enjoy the show. Sounds great. And we'll touch base next week talking SharePoint. Oh, yeah. Back to the SharePoint board. <laughs> All right. See ya. Cheers, buddy. Okay, so I'm in Building 50 today, which is the first time I've been in Building 50. And um, it looks very old school from the outside, but it's uh, got a new fancy cafe. And How long have you guys been in this building? Well, um, I've been here for about four years. Uh, in Building 50. It's it's the home of uh, Media Center uh, in the past. Uh, my name is Anthony Leibovitz. I'm the PM lead for Graph Notifications and the Windows Notification Service, uh, the online services portion of those um, capabilities. And um, Lay is here too. Yeah. Um, hello. Uh, my name is Lay, and uh, I'm uh, from Anthony's uh, sister's team. Our team is in charge of uh, building the client-side SDK and uh, the developer story for uh, graph notifications. That's a new workload on MS Graph. Well, um, I, notifications have, have long been you know, a machine-centric entity. Uh, where notifications can be delivered to an individual machine. But one of the things that we recognized over the course of time is that um, notifications are really intended for users. And, and wouldn't it be useful if there was a way for us to provide a development capability where a developer could simply say, I want to deliver a notification to, say, Lay, and have that notification be delivered wherever Lay was. And so through a lot of thinking, uh, we came up with graph notifications, which provides exactly that capability. Developers can... Um, uh, author a notification, send it to a REST endpoint by um, address to a particular user, and that notification can be fanned out wherever the user has an online presence, whether it's Android, iOS, Windows, or what have you. Exactly, yeah, especially with this realization that we're kind of in a multi-device world where a lot of the apps and services, they kind of have their apps existing, making a strong presence everywhere, and they're trying to build this like seamless flow across different devices, and we just feel like being able to send notifications across different devices is a natural extension of the existing notification experience on Windows within the Windows ecosystem. And it's kind of handy that because our team also owns the Windows native notification framework, so we feel like it's a natural development for the team mm -hmm. to extend our scope to provide a service, for, especially for uh, graph developers, to be able to uh, send notifications across these uh, other major pl uh, mobile platforms. And so, Anthony, how, how long have you been in this team for? Uh, I've been in this team for about uh, four years total. Yeah. Uh, here, yeah. And so, so we announced at Ignite in September. Uh, so notifications, obviously, have existed in Microsoft for a while. So were you like a shared service internally for our kind of first-party products first? Um, well, the, the the history of, of notifications starts with our with our UWP investments and uh, and Windows specifically. And, and over time, that's, that's grown out to include different platforms and now graph notifications. 
Okay. And and what did you do? Have you, how long have you been at Microsoft for? People are always interested in oh. kind of historically how long you've been here and. So I've been here quite a while. I've, this is my 23rd or 24th year at Microsoft. <laughs> okay. I yeah. think you're the longest serving that we've had on the show so far. <laughs> yeah. Where did you start out? Like, can you remember? Can you wind back and remember what your first yeah. first days were like here? Yeah, yeah. So so I started back um, around 1994, 1995, somewhere in there. Wow. Uh, before Windows 95. Uh, launched and I started in the Windows NT networking team, mm-hmm. and um, I worked on a service called Remote Access Service, also oh, known right. as Dial-Up Networking. And so yeah. we built all the different um, networking layers that that provided for wide area networking services, both on NT and then also we we helped with uh, Windows ninety five. Uh, things like PPTP and, and L2TP IPsec and, of course, async modems and ISDN and, like, all that sort of stuff. Far out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I spent a lot of time doing that. And over some time, I, I ended up working on uh, uh, the network policy server, which is our radius server Yeah. at, at Microsoft. Um, I developed something called uh, ePost, which is Extensible Authentication Protocol Host, which allows for exchangeable uh, authentication mechanisms for Layer 2 in the network. And so if you've ever uh, gone to a corporate network uh, using a Windows device and connected to that corporate network, there's a very good chance that, that ePost is involved in that. Um, yeah, I spent some time in the Active Directory team. I worked on, on network access protection, and I worked on Windows Phone for a while. So I've been all around the company. That's great. That's yeah. awesome. So where was the first building you started your career in here? Building One. You were in Building One. I was in Building One, wow. and I had a triangular-shaped, pie-shaped office. Yeah, the, the, the desk didn't even fit. I had to slide in there, and I'd, I'd just gotten here from college. And uh, uh, did you buy <laughs> anything out of that building? And now they're about to demolish it. I did I, notice they were kind of auctioning those things off. Oh, only memories. I went by <laughs> and I took a look, and I remembered, and I went up, and I, I just I have a lot of good memories in that building. We cre- we created a lot of great things in those days, and it was a very different time at Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. it's the first time I've seen the parking lot with spaces available in it during the day. <laughs> That's true. That's certainly true. <laughs> Maybe this is our solution to the parking problem at Redmond. That's a way. <laughs> <laughs> How about yourself? When did, when did you get involved in Microsoft? I, uh, I've been here for five years, actually, and it's always been, which kind of uh, always amazes people when people say it, which is all, uh, it's been under the same manager for, uh, in the same team for the past five years, which wow. is a, pretty much a miracle in Microsoft, I would say, <laughs> with people constantly moving and trying out different things. But our team has been shifting focus along the journey, and uh, we started uh, from uh, Windows Phone-specific notifications. Oh, is that and, right? Uh, yeah, okay. and uh, which is always kind of sad when we're talking about Windows Phone. Uh, I mean, I still really uh, love and cherish all the stuff and the experience we've learned uh, from, from doing that project. And uh, uh, then uh, we kind of converged on the platform to combine Windows Phone and Windows Core. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, uh, we were in charge of uh, building the, the Windows native notification platform and building the first uh, notification center, action center experience in both uh, phone and uh, PC. And uh, from then, our team kind of, uh, like the larger team kind of self-developed uh, what's called uh, Project Roam, which uh, enables a lot of uh, cross-device and uh, connected device scenarios. And uh, as part of that, we feel like also with the, with the amount of thinking that we just had around uh, making notifications in, uh, in a user-centric way that goes across all different platforms. So we kind of combined force with MS Graph and with Project Rome to have this natural extension to introduce notification across different platforms. And, and for those that don't know, um, what, what do you, how would you describe Project Rome? Because it's a code word that gets used that's 
state a code word to the public. Right, right. <laughs> and people it, have different ways of explaining it. How would you describe to someone listening? For sure. Uh, Project ROM is basically a collection of capabilities that enables cross-device or connected device uh, experience uh, that um, basically um, enables the apps to build uh, a flow that's specific to their uh, business scenario uh, so that the user can switch from one device to another in a seamless way. Right. And uh, one example of that is the Windows uh, timeline experience. And uh, you can go to Windows and click on the task switcher and scroll down. You'll see all the stuff that you've done in the past. So you can quickly resume to a certain uh, task you were working on uh, from basically the past timeline. And the same experience is built inside uh, the Cortana app or the launcher app inside Android devices. And uh, that's actually a capability that's built on top of a Project Roam service, which is called the Activity Feed service. And uh, in that case, you're really just enabling the user to pick up on your phone the stuff that you were left off on, uh, for example, on your PC, so that right. you can uh, go pick up a different device in your daily workflow and then resume the task in a very seamless way. Yeah, I love doing that even between my Windows Home machine and my Windows Work machine. Just like browsing an edge and using timelines just to pick up where I was half hour ago before my commute and, and launching the, the browser, that, the tabs that I was just using on my work machine. So I really kind of like that Rome aspect. For sure. But it's Rome as in R-O-M-E as in the, the city. Rome as in R-O-M-E. Not as in like your things roam with you. Right, exactly. I'm yeah. sure they, they probably did the... Uh, they probably thought about it when yeah. they were doing the name so that these two sounds very similar. That's what makes this name interesting. In fact, that's true. I, I had asked that question myself about Rome, R-O-M-E or R-O-A-M, and they said Rome is an Appian Way Rome. So there you go. Oh, uh, is that right? Okay. And then, so the whole notifications aspect, like we're familiar with Outlook, and I'm very familiar with Outlook, giving me notifications that there's yet another email in my inbox um, or there's another meeting to go to. Um, those notifications, is it the same infrastructure that Outlook is using to notify different clients that uh, a Microsoft Graph solution could use, or is it separate? Yeah, so so they are certainly related. Um, so, some um, some apps choose to use you know a proprietary sort of mechanism themselves, but, yeah. but the vast majority of them use the platform centric notification systems like Windows notification you know system service rather, um, and Graph notifications is built on top of that system. Okay, and and. What would you say were, you know, in terms of the scenarios, obviously I've just mentioned the Outlook one is the most obvious one. Um, but as a user flow, one of the things I liked about it was this notion that if I dismiss the notification, and there's like certain actions you can do on a notification that your system remembers. Yeah, so, so that, that's certainly true. I mean, one, one of the main things about graph notifications and notifications in general is to drive um, increased user engagement and then productivity from that. Uh, and, and, and we do a bunch of things. One is a, a recognition that um, there is a lot of um, command for or demand for your attention as a user. And so in graph notifications, we've, we've provided some features like universal dismiss that allow user to respond to a notification and then have that, that uh, notification dismissed throughout. Uh, so user doesn't have to go to their PC then, dismiss there, go to another machine like a tablet and yet again dismiss. So that's one thing that we're doing to sort of manage the flow of notifications and help um, the user's time be respected as possible. We also have things that like adaptive card and maybe Lay, you want to explain a little bit about that, how that can work. Yeah, so Lay, what, 
what? How do you? I mean, obviously, we have the adaptive cards kind of grouped kind of work, working in our team. H how do you find that you integrating the adaptive cards into the work that you're doing around notifications? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, the way we look at it is uh, graph notifications is really no different from uh, sort of a, a very standard mobile push pattern, right? Like your app server is trying to notify the user about something when something's going on, whether it's uh, for productivity, for completing tasks, or for general user engagement, or for real-time communication, or even for like very enterprise-focused scenario, for example, like alerting, and uh, when stuff is going wrong and you want to notify the user about that in real time, as soon as possible and let them uh, give them a chance to react uh, to urgent issues and uh, across this whole flow of your app service trying to send notifications through uh, the delivery pipeline which is provided by us down to any host experience you want the app to have the maximum amount of flexibility uh, to uh, show rich UI and uh, show actions to the user so they can uh, complete things as much as possible and they can get as much information as possible out of these notifications without necessarily having to deal with a lot of context switching. And this requires the, the host experience that displays these notifications to be flexible and to be visually rich. And uh, the technology within Microsoft, which is called Adaptive Card, is basically a way to uh, describe a certain uh, piece of UI and have that rendered in a card-like form across different uh, places and different UX within Microsoft. R right. So like if I'm in, a, um, in the Windows 10 and notification shows up, that notifications rendered differently to how I'd see it on my Android phone or... That's right. So yep. uh, the Windows uh, Action Center, uh, the one that shows notifications, the one that you, you launch by uh, clicking the bottom right-hand corner, uh, every single notification in there, we're currently working on uh, having adaptive card native support in there. And uh, also from graph notifications point, we're also working on when you're sending a visual notification by expressing that payload with as part of that notification payload, we're trying to enable adaptive card as the sort of the unified currency across all different platforms. Right. So you can send a card where uh, when it's targeting on Windows devices, it can then be natively displayed by the Windows uh, Action Center, and uh, uh, when it's trying to be delivered or targeting Android or iOS devices, then you don't, uh, you still don't have to worry about it because our service will try to make that translation in between that translates the card uh, UI into a native uh, Android or iOS uh, template, so that can be displayed by the corresponding OS uh, appropriately. So, so essentially, this is plumbing that you don't have to worry about as a developer that just handles notifications rather than having to kind of build this yourself. Correct. Is this is part of the advantage of providing a cross-platform and user-centric notification right. framework where you have a unified API and you just have to basically learn one protocol once, uh, pretty much like how you would code against MS Graph, right? For right. all these different capabilities, you just have to learn the API once and learn the endpoint once and uh, the authentication flow and all that kind of stuff. So it eliminates the fact that you have to, for example, go code against uh, Google Cloud Messaging mm -hmm. or uh, Apple Push Notification Service all separately and learn their protocol in terms of how they accept notification payloads. Yeah, so and that, that removes a lot of complexity and cost both right. at, at development time as well as the ongoing cost of having to maintain those. As, as they go and change things. So, Anthony, like in that in that realm, like 
how do where would the developers write against the notifications API? Um, is this, is do they write it in their kind of their business logic layer, or because you're sending notifications to the devices, I'm assuming you don't write it in the client layers of your particular Correct. apps. It's, it's usually written um, in in a lot business logic layer on the backend services, and so backend service needs to notify the client that something interesting has taken place, and so they will um, call our our endpoint, our REST endpoint within the graph. So me notifications. Uh, with that form notification, send it there, and then it's distributed out to the clients. And and is this done as a because uh, it's in the service layer? Is this done as a on behalf of a, the user, like user delegated, or is it application only? Like what what set state is the application in when yeah. it calls the graph? You, you you need to have a access to a user token for that user, and then that's presented at the time the the um, notification is submitted to the graph. Right. So you call the graph as that user, yeah. and then the graph essentially processes that, sends it down to notifications, and then will broadcast that to wherever the devices are that are it knows about that the user has. That's right. Correct. It gets uh, it gets fanned out to all the devices. Fanned where, out. I love that word. <laughs> fanned out is the yeah. right word. It yeah. gets fanned out to all the devices where uh, where the application clients installed and the users logged in. So right. there is a, there is a registration process that you have to do with the uh, the client side SDK to pretty much declare that. I want to subscribe to receive notifications from this user because right. this user is not logged in on this device. And uh, once that notification gets found out and arrives on this particular app client, then uh, you kind of leverage the platform-specific native push model to wake up in the back end and uh, to run some code to uh, code against the SDK and to fetch the actual notification content and then enable the corresponding experience. Like, okay. a, like a common pattern, what we call is called push to pull, where we would push a shoulder tap and then that wakes up the app client in the back end. And uh, the application will then uh, use our Roam SDK to get the full notification content in mm -hmm. uh, whatever format they uh, published originally. And uh, then Normally, what the app would do is to do some data syncing and saving in the back end and then call the corresponding native platform notification API to raise a UI uh, to uh, bas basically tell the user about the stuff that's going on. Right. So the trick is, is you kind of your back end code is the one pushing onto the pipe, I guess, to fan those notifications out. But the thing that I kind of didn't realize until I started coding this up for the demo at Ignite was your applications that you deploy to your users. So from an enterprise scenario, maybe I've got Intune pumping out the enterprise app to an iPhone and to an Android and to a Windows 10 machine. Those client applications um, would require that you have code in there that has a flow that your user goes through to sign into the application and consent, I want notifications to work for me and then register that particular device against the graph graph calls. That's right. And okay. there's actually a few advantages of that. So for applications themselves, being able to run in the background and get the UI ready and basically mm -hmm. have this data being synced uh, before actually showing that notification or before... Uh, if you compare that with the other approach, which is to uh, send a visual notification directly from the server to the client, and then the OS just handle uh, showing that notification to the user without having the app wake up in the background. Uh, in the background, the advantage of not doing that is 
uh, you can do a lot of optimization and right. preparation before you spin up that UI. So you avoid a lot of uh, uh, cases where you would have to show loading dot, dot, dot before you actually have that data ready. Instead, yeah, data is shown to the user in an uh, instant way. And uh, another advantage of this approach is because we're sending a shoulder tap initially through uh, the Apple and uh, the Android specific push notification platforms. So uh, there is no personal data that you publish into uh, MS Graph as notifications are going to be exposed to uh, anything that's outside of Microsoft compliance boundary. Mm -hmm. And in this case, we actually meet a lot of uh, very strict enterprise compliance requirement. So you can publish notification with specific personal data content in there, and then know that the way how you're gonna use the, uh, the client SDK to retrieve this data is, uh, is in a secure way. That's all within the Microsoft compliance boundary and meets all these requirements. Right. So a good shoo-in example of this would be is if I already have applications I've written that authenticate against Azure Active Directory where I've got an access token, maybe I'm even doing a graph call already to get the profile photo for the photo in the app or I'm getting the job title on their manager directly in the app. Um, you can just add the permission that requires, you know, I also need you to consent notifications. And then essentially that would allow you then to start pushing notifications to that application, whether it's iOS, Android, Windows. Are they the main platforms you support right now? or iOS, Android, and Windows. Okay. Mm -hmm. Are we, there we also plans to do other, pla like other parts too? Funny you should mention that. <laughs> <laughs> Can we disclose, or are you guys? Well, we we spoke about it at at, at Ignite, and okay. so yes, I mean uh, we are also planning to provide web push support for. Oh, I was going to say, I wonder if we can do that. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And so um, we're able to. It, it works today. We were able to do a demo on stage at that point, and and we're continuing on our path to making that publicly available. So that again, that would be hugely powerful because that way, you know, again, you're not writing more notification plumbing. You're just using the graph API, and away you go. Does this work for both uh, corporate organization work accounts as well as consumer accounts like Outlook.com, Hotmail.com, or is it just for one? Absolutely, uh, for both. Oh, that's uh, excellent. So we, we definitely, I mean, it's, it's aligned with the rest of MS Graph. We want to make sure uh, there is a play in the consumer space as well. So we do support both AAD uh, and MSA accounts. And what's your guidance? And I'll put my hat on of the app that I have in the Apple Store here, where I would say uh, it's probably a little bit biased because the people I've asked to download my app are friends that would be embarrassed if they used their Gmail account. But um, I would say probably 60% are using Microsoft account to sign into my app, 40% are using Gmail. That's the two options I have within my app. If someone signs in with a Gmail account, obviously because that sign-in flow, you don't have a user token, you've not consented notifications, there is no real way to cater for notifications if the, if your app is supporting other consumer flows, right? That, that That's right. Cur currently, we support uh, MSAs and, and AD identities. Yeah. Uh, but that request, the ability to support additional identity types, is something that we've heard a few times. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's something that we're thinking about how we, we might go ahead and solve. That's excellent. That being said, we we don't have any concrete plans yet, but it's, yeah. it's on our minds. Yeah, because it's definitely a decision point where when I first saw this tech, I was like, great, I don't have to build this myself now, or I don't have to have the inconvenience of having to work out how Apple do their protocol versus how Android do it. And obviously Windows was straightforward. So, okay, that'd be awesome if you could, if that's something you would look at. Um, and then scenario wise, like, is there a better fit for this 
uh, in consumer or enterprise? Are there, I mean, often with graph workloads, sometimes there's more gravity towards one or the other. I mean, notifications are notifications, but I'm sure there's scenarios you've come up with where, like the privacy thing you've mentioned, are there other things that mean that it, it, it's uh, stronger in the enterprise space than consumer space? For sure. Yeah, so we've actually talked to a uh, uh, few partners at Ignite, and uh, they, they all came up with some very uh, interesting user cases. And uh, one example is uh, what I kind of slightly mentioned uh, at the very beginning is uh, to send alerts when they detect something is wrong. And one company, they have sort of a client-side installed uh, monitor that monitors any uh, basically weird activities that's going on. Mm -hmm. And whenever things happen, they'll send a alert through uh, mobile push notifications to PC and also to mobile devices. And there'll be a good use of graph notifications, especially given the fact that you're actually trying to send this notification to either the office, uh, to the IT admin, or to the affected user. And there's always going to be a user identity that's associated with that target. That means you can basically use graph notifications to just target that user to send notifications without having to worry about which app client this user is locked in on or which which device is he or she using. Okay. So, but if I had the scenario, thousand employees that, that my app, if they hypothetically, if they all had iPhones, which obviously is never going to be the case because people have different things. If you you would have to have that client app deployed in all thousand of those individual phones, and they would have had to have signed in and consented individually. Is there a way around that so that as an admin, I could push that app out to the thousand devices and somehow consent and register the device as an admin rather than having it? Because otherwise, it's more opt in, right? Like that each individual employee has to go and that's a great question. Do that. So so right now, based on the, the capabilities we enable today, is focused on uh, being able to target authenticated and logged in users. Yeah, so yeah. like if you're at mention someone when you're editing a doc, that would be a great use scenario of that. Or if you wanted to uh, enable real-time communication, for example, when you're doing Skype or Teams integration and you want to notify th that specific person about something. Yeah. However, though, uh, if you wanted to do broadcast to all devices, uh, not to worry about whether there is a, a right user identity being logged in, pretty mm -hmm. much being able to broadcast to all the authenticated and unauthenticated users. That's a scenario that we don't currently support today, okay. but it's something we're looking at, especially uh, we're thinking about creative ways that could make it especially useful for existing graph explorers, so, uh, sorry, graph uh, developers. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at how we can combine this with some existing graph concept like the groups, user users and groups, mm -hmm. to be able to enable broadcasting. But as of right now, there's not a concrete plan for supporting broadcasting. Because right now the broadcasting, I guess, is that kind of uh, send an email to someone's inbox. Like every time someone assigns me a, I was gonna say VSTS, but it's now Azure, Cloud, cloud ops, um, or DevOps, sorry. Um, you know, I'm getting those emails every time someone assigns it to me, or GitHub does the same thing. I, I would prefer those things not to be an email, not to be an SMS, because to me, SMS is a personal thing. Like, my wife texts me, I just want that to be there. I don't need clutter in my SMS of work stuff. Um, and so having that approach of being able to use this notifications pipeline for those types of things would be, be super useful. I guess in those two examples, like, VSTS doesn't have a client app that you can sign into. 
Um, GitHub, to my knowledge, doesn't have an official one either. So those two scenarios wouldn't really fit there. So what I'm trying to get to is like the perfect fit right now is those that have already got an enterprise app that they've deployed and their customers are using that they can just add that additional consent flow for permissions. And, and, and there's also a, when web push comes along, you have you have the ability to to integrate web push with the back end web app that's there. Right. And you can receive notifications that way as well. Oh, exactly. uh, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, the way, I guess it's definitely worth mentioning here is uh, the Edge browser and uh, a Chrome as well, Google Chrome as well. Uh, so they And Firefox. And Firefox, they all support uh, W3C notification standard, which is the browser push model that we're working on supporting. At the same time, Chrome and Edge specifically, they've done kind of the extra mile to uh, have native integration with uh, Windows PC. Mm -hmm. So when they try to send a notification, they actually send a Windows system level Toast notification that uh, goes inside okay. Windows Action Center and all that. So uh, even when the browsers are not running uh, or not currently open, you can still receive these notifications. And not only that, they don't just display on the screen for like a few seconds and go away, but also you can retrieve these Right, because you've got them in that the top center. right or in That's Mac. Right. It's got the... Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I was actually in a... We do. I think actually you're in the same division where it's the fix, hack, learn. So for a week, you're meant to down tools and either go fix something, hack something together, or go learn something. And we did some learning um, around kind of accessibility and um, product management around those things. And one of the ladies sitting at my table was actually on the notifications team for Windows 10. And um, she was kind of interested in our own opinions of like how noisy is too noisy and how quiet is too quiet when it comes to different apps being able to notify. And um, I've recently just switched to an Android device where you have a lot more fine grown control within each application of, you know, exactly what things it notifies you about. So for like Twitter, I can say, don't send me the um, replies because too many people mentioned me, but if I get a DM, like let me know that I got a direct message coming through and that, that granularity. But I guess you guys are enabling notifications, but do you also do the kind of any guidance or here's best practices around like, you know, don't spam them, each individual so user? We, we do definitely yeah. provide guidance. And these are the sort of the, the lessons that we've learned from working with different partners that's trying to integrate with notification features on Windows. Yeah. And uh, a lot of these definitely are applicable across different platforms. And uh, uh, I actually highly recommend uh, to uh, go see our Build Talk and Ignite Talk. And mm -hmm. both, I believe, are published on Channel 9. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, what we do is for uh, sort of the second half uh, of that session, we're, we're very much focused on presenting the problem and uh, the solution of graph notifications. But the first part, we also talk about in general, uh, in either consumer-focused or enterprise-focused way, how specific guidance could help you design a, a good notification story and yep. notification experience that includes like for example using the right management apis to make sure your notifications are always clean up and uh, stale notifications are removed properly and initially when they show up how do you minimize the amount of noise and, and get the the most out of it and uh so i definitely highly recommend folks to uh to see those guidelines and uh at the same time, the good thing about graph notification is that it enables a delivery pipeline where right. it's very orthogonal to the end experience you're capable of enabling on each platform. Because you wake up uh, on the on the back end and then uh, 
uh, code against the, the sort of the platform specific APIs to generate the actual notification UI and the notification experience. So you are still uh, capable of uh, taking advantage of all the platform specific sort of rules or things that Android does or things that iOS does or Windows does to keep the noise to a minimum and uh, to keep the notification redundancy, uh, redundancy to a minimum. To, to, to keep it right-sized for your particular individual because, mm -hmm. I mean, each person has different interests for the notifications right. that matter and different different degrees of, of what they consider desirable yeah, yeah. to be notified for. So so um, as a team, we're very aware that, that all these apps are and developers <laughs> are competing for, for users' attention, and so yeah. we're providing things in the operating system to help, help the users navigate that, mm -hmm. uh, and I'd expect us to continue you looking at that because it at that can challenge get quite and, overwhelming i it yeah. cringes me when i look i mean i run zero inbox um on my mail which i know is not all people do here because it's super hard and i'm only I, I seven months back now so and so i'm still kind of fighting that good fight but um when i look at my wife's phone and it says like 1000 unread text messages it just i'm just makes me curl and cringe and want to climb the walls and so you know you, you are enabling that more and more i guess but um so there's definitely some guidance there on that on that side of it and then the other thing that came up at ignite um a lot was you know there's third party services that have kind of had a crack at this before um and initially it's like cost what's the cost associated with using this service on Microsoft Graph. We're still in preview right now. It's V1. Preview. Like, wh where are we at with all those things? So so we're a preview right now, and, and at the moment there's there's no cost to developers to to leverage graph notifications. Um, that being said, they're obviously to use M365, there, there are fees associated with that. Um, and so we kind of consider ourselves as, as, as a component of, of M365 for customers. Um, it's un unclear if we're going to charge at some point. We don't know yet. Okay. Because, I mean, obviously, if I am building an app and I'm using consumer flow sign-in consent, technically I'm not an M365 customer nor the N N N devices. So That's true. So we've got to wait a little bit to see what fans out for, right. for V1 there. Right. And did we give any indication of when the V1 will be coming or is that still to TBC? So so we view um, our V1 as, as our GA release mm -hmm. um, and that would be aligned more or less with Build 19. Perfect, okay. Yeah, a lot of people are expecting kind of the cadence of announce at one big conference and then, you know, V1 at the next. That's great if you guys can hit that mark. That's awesome. For sure. And this is probably something you can provide more guidance, Jeremy. Uh, the fact that we're on beta, but I still do highly encourage everyone to kind of jump on board and yeah. give us uh, recommendations. Our APIs are, are pretty stable. I know it's more of a procedure thing that we wanted to make sure everything's aligned when we're moving up beta to V1, but uh, there is minimal amount of change anything if yeah. at all if we're expecting in terms of the API signature and or introducing any brick changes. Yeah, yeah yes, and the, the underlying services have been operating since Correct. since Ignite at, at an SLA and with the support that that um, we would give to the larger scale services that we mm -hmm. have. So we are absolutely ready to go. Yeah, and I think that's critical is that I don't necessarily see you guys as an experimental API. We certainly have a few of those on the graph. 
Um, and, you know, Teams is a great example, again, of one that was in beta where the signatures really haven't changed because, um, you know, they went out of the gate fresh with no existing history or uh, baggage is the right word, I guess, like SharePoint has in moving from their own endpoints to, uh, you know, this distributed Microsoft endpoint. Um, and so, yeah, so it, the beta here is something that is inevitable that you're going to GA, but you are looking for that feedback. So if there's – my advice would be if there's partners out there that are interested in this – um, I'm assuming you guys would be really open to uh, meeting with them on a call and getting their feedback as they're Absolutely. using it. Absolutely. Okay, great. Yeah. The, these are the PMs I love working with. There's a few that hide in corners that don't want to talk to customers, whereas you guys have definitely been really interactive, so I appreciate that. It makes my role easier when I'm checking the box on how is our developer experience going on the graph. Yeah, in great. fact, after uh, Ignite, because we, we've got a bunch of really great leads and we've already been in a bunch of uh, one-to-one discussions with different uh, customers that's awesome. Who showed a strong interest, and uh, not only that, I think we're we're also going to be able to provide the right amount of uh, dev uh, support in terms of if you get into any uh, trouble or any issue, any hiccup, basically. Uh, we'll be there. Yeah, when you're integrating, we'll be there. That's awesome. I really appreciate that. So, where is the best place to start for notifications? It sounds like that Ignite talk, which I know you had an alter ego as well, Anthony. <laughs> Doctor Notify, yes. And I was like, is that Doc Brown over there? That's so cool. Um, and that was kind of all tied into the scenario. So I don't want to like spoil that. I'd, I'd, I'd see that as a teaser for them to go watch <laughs> Ignite, only to know that he was dressed very, dressed very similar to Doc Emmett Brown. Definitely <laughs> worth go watching that yourself. Yeah. Not, not, yeah, not, not just for uh, the graph notification knowledge, but for the, some of the good acting. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, so we have that. And we also have sort of a Project Roam all out landing page. And that's aka.ms slash Project Roam. Yeah. one word. And uh, there you can find that it's highlighting some of the new uh, capabilities, including graph notifications and including like user activities and other stuff that you can go explore. Mm-hmm. And there's corresponding uh, content such as the Ignite sessions. And uh, there's also corresponding links to the SDK samples and documentations. And uh, there's also aka.ms slash graph notifications with the S in the end. and. Uh, uh, this is specific to uh, graph notifications, where it leads to sort of the landing overview page of uh, of graph notification inside, inside of Microsoft Graph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'll, I'll add one thing too. In addition to the resources that Lay just mentioned, uh, we've compiled the sample apps, and they're available in the in the samples or in the app stores today. Mm-hmm. So you can download those applications today. Then you can go to Graph Explorer. You can log in. And you can send a notification to those sample apps and just experience it for yourself how simple this really is. So, so to, to explain that, because that's, that's quite a, a big leap, uh, you've gone through the process of building apps and having them registered in the Android Google Play Store and the Apple iTunes store, iTunes store. That's, that, that's right. So in the, in the Apple store and uh, in the Google Play store, we submitted our apps and you can find the QR code for download in the in the presentation slides from yeah. the Ignite session. And uh, basically on the server side, you would uh, use uh, Microsoft Graph Explorer, which yeah. uh, probably a lot of folks has already know. It's a great tool for trying out, out the new uh, Graph APIs. And uh, that's no different for Graph notifications as well. So you can basically combine that and the sample app to act as the conceptual app server and the app client. So you're able to publish notifications through Microsoft Graph Explorer and then you'll be able to receive these notifications on the client right. that's logged in with the same user ID. So you download it from the store, you'd sign in with your account, uh-huh. consent the gr- 
draft to have access to notifications and then it does the APIs to register that device through the notifications endpoint. That's right. And then you go over to Graph Explorer and do the me notifications whack and put the post body in and then you'd see it on your phone. Just just like if you were at your app service. Yeah, yeah, that's neat. I always I Daryl in our team owns um Graph Explorer and I always say it's poor man's postman, which makes him cringe, but it's the most used things we have across our entire developer experience because it is so streamlined and easy to use and you have those little snapple snippets for each of the workloads like notifications. Um, and now the yeah. Uh, payloads are pre-constructed right so you just you can click and run or you can just mm-hmm. click and run exactly yeah that's awesome oh well, look I really appreciate this how can we keep in contact with you guys as PMs do you have Twitter accounts blogs LinkedIn profiles like where's the right place for to all engage of all the above yeah <laughs> I think I think the best way to reach out is uh, definitely uh, just shoot a direct email to our alias we'll definitely make sure to look at it and we also both have Twitter handles so what's your direct email uh, alias for your team uh so right now we have uh basically our emails and uh, let me pull up the dl to make sure and while he's doing that what's your twitter anthony is it doc emmett brown no 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 it's it's um <laughs> it's uh tony Ali. yep and uh my email address is tony Ali at microsoft.com okay awesome i'll make sure they're in the uh the show notes as well and my Twitter handle is uh, L-E-I-X-U-2046. Okay, you need to explain the 2046. <laughs> 2046 is actually a great, uh, almost like a sci-fi, but not really. A oh, movie, really? Uh, from, from like a Chinese director. Oh, America. okay. Does it have it's, subtitles? It does not. It's oh, just no. called 2047. <laughs> and, uh, well, I, I, I probably won't be checking that out because I'd be confused after the first five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, look, we'll get all those things in the show notes. So a big thank you for joining. And um, I appreciate you guys offering to help if anyone has any questions when they start tinkering this stuff. But it's super easy to jump and get those apps in the store on your machine and or on your device and fire them away from the Graph Explorer. And the samples are super easy to get going as well. So um, if this is something that interests you, I'd, I'd encourage you guys to jump into those links and get coding that on your existing client apps or see this as an opportunity to build a business solution that has a notification story as well as other graph integration. Great. Well, thanks for having us, Jeremy. Cool. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 